Hey guys, it's Belle. This is Go From Here. I am very excited to introduce my next guest because, as you will hear, I sounded pretty much flustered the entire time. Um, I think I was trying to stay cool and I couldn't help being a fangirl of Miss Goldie Chan. If you haven't heard of her, I would direct you to her Twitter because that's where I stumbled across her and her Twitter is just full of these amazing moments of clarity and mental health touches and you know making sure that you look after yourselves and I think besides sharing my own life journey that's one of the biggest reasons why I started this podcast to reach an audience that I feel connects with me and Goldie definitely has those ambitions and for herself and it shows a lot through her Twitter. She has accomplished many, 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 many things. And I'm only lucky enough to be able to chat with her on her busy schedule and get to know why she started, what she started, and how she started, and how she continues to honor herself and her boundaries and who she is and by that honoring everyone around her and what she's worked so hard for. So I hope you guys feel the same type of inspiration motivation I had with Goldie during our talk and just through her Twitter and the amount of accomplishments she's uh, well done. And you know she, she's a very humble person but she also takes a lot of pride in everything she's succeeded in, which I think a lot of us see as a very linear thing in our lives where we have to be humble or, but we can be humble and. And Goldie is a perfect example of that. So like I said, I hope you guys like the episode. I am very excited to introduce her and you guys will see me next week. I have a very interesting episode next week. So I love you guys, bye. for coming on to the podcast for Go From Here. Um, I I mean, I don't even know where to start. You, you're the Forbes personal branding and storytelling. Um, so you write articles for Forbes. I've also read that you were voted the top voice for LinkedIn. And then you're the Adobe Insider. You're part of the Producers Guild. There's so many things that you've done like in the short time frame of your life, like how, how did this even start? So we can, we can actually rewind it back if you want all the way back to where I went to in college um, and then how I got to here from college to here, which is a pretty crazy road. Um, so I went to Stanford 
for biology. And I was pre-med like a lot of good Asian kids uh, were. I did a lot of mentoring. Um, and, you know, honestly, somewhere down the line, I've always been more creative, if that makes sense, uh, than formulaic. So right. somewhere down the line, I uh, realized that it wasn't quite right for me to go into med school. And I'd been doing research as well. So I thought about joining a research lab, and I actually got an offer for a really prestigious HIV lab in San Francisco. Um, and I decided to, when I graduated from college, I decided to actually throw everything to the wind. I had like three job offers at a bunch of different places. And <laughs> I ran my own fashion line for two years. Wow. So uh, it was really interesting because at the time, at least, my friends from school were not the entrepreneurs, which is maybe more funny to think about now because you think Stanford, you think immediately, like, those are people who are instantly entrepreneurs. But the people that I knew were going into their nine to first nine to fives, right? You're like very, very entry level nine to five or your first internship. Um, and that's what they were doing. And so no one was really there to give me advice on running a company, my first company, um, and honestly, after two years, I got interest from a big box store on my fashion line. Um, and I turned it down because I couldn't find the right <clears throat> business partner to scale. Because up oh. to that point, I'd been able to do everything myself. I was actually already um, outsourcing to people to cut the clothes, to produce the clothes. Um, wow. But you need a partner if you are going to start mass producing, right? Really to scale. Because I was right. already in boutiques and things. Um, <clears throat> so I couldn't find that partner. So then I folded up shop. And I think if, if it was now, I probably would have sold the company instead of just folding everything up. But I just needed time to think about what was my next step, what I was going to do next. Right. And I think the funny thing is, so I just sat at home and I played a lot of Sims and I watched a lot of HGTV. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think we've all been there, you know, some Law and Order SVU. Uh, oh, yeah. And it's like the depression triad. triad. <laughs> and, um, you know, ate a lot of peanut butter sandwiches and ramen and eventually my friends did what I like to call a friend intervention where they're like, you need to get a job, like just so you get out of the house, oh, you know, like yeah. you need to, it, and it wasn't for obviously that long because I was just living off my savings at that point, but they were just like, you need to get off your butt and actually do something with your life. So I'm like, like, fine, I'll get like a job. And so that's actually how I got my first job in marketing. Oh, wow. Um, the very like roundabout way of saying how I started in marketing is I had zero intention of going into marketing. It was not necessarily a career choice. It was more of a healthy, like a mental health life choice to just get a job. And that happened to be randomly a job that I got. And it was obviously like the most entry level position in marketing that you can get. Right. Um, and so I worked in marketing as a startup and then it's funny how your life kind of runs itself sometimes. So yeah. I started in one entry-level marketing job. And then I, that obviously led to another marketing job that was like slightly higher up. 
And I kind of just continued down this chain of like slightly higher up, slightly higher up. And <laughs> along the way, I, as a creative person, I've always had side interests and things like that. So I produced a serious financial drama that um, caught the eyes of some people. And so I ended up getting into the producers guild as one of the youngest people of color, youngest like Asian woman for sure. Um, so wow. I have a producers guild. Um, and so that also happened along the way. Um, and that takes us, we'll just fast forward through a few more years, a decade. <laughs> that takes us up to 2017. So in 2017, I had hit the peak of my marketing career. So I had just left a head of marketing position at a startup, which is, you know, the height of where you can go outside of right. the of marketing or CMO. But after a while, all these titles are interchangeable. So I'd hit the very top of where I was going to go in my marketing career. Um, and it was, you know, it was one of those times where I was taking a quote unquote sabbatical, but it's really a funny <laughs> way of saying that you are unemployed and not looking. So right. <laughs> <laughs> that is what I was doing. I was unemployed. I wasn't looking. And I was just like, I'm just going to chill for a month. And then I will be a responsible adult and get back into the workforce and like actively look for a job. Right. Um, and I remember I got into the LinkedIn video beta in 2017 and I started making these videos. And the reason why, and this always, I think, amuses people. The reason why I made videos on LinkedIn is because it was very uncool to do so. And so most people weren't watching that content. So right. I could be free to make videos and then feel like nobody's watching them. And that was actually really nice. There wasn't the same pressure as say, if I had started a YouTube channel or an Instagram account where it's very formulaic, like there's definitely a formula for success. Yeah. And also people are watching you. So they know that if you're doing the formula wrong because you haven't hit it, you haven't done well. And I always like doing things that are sort of off the beaten path. So it was really fun to be creating videos and building a community from scratch. And that's how I got my nickname that the press uses, which is the Oprah of LinkedIn. Yeah. Um, because I had built this community from scratch. And that's also how I got LinkedIn Top Voice, which is actually assigned by LinkedIn editors. So they go through all of these accounts every year. Um, and they pick who they think does the best content in each category. So you have wow. best folks in education, right, on LinkedIn, like best folks in social media marketing. And that's what I was um, at the time. And so it was really interesting. From 2017 to 2019, I was the top video creator on the platform. I was probably the top grader, um, really actively pounding the pavement, building community, hosting entire convention hall, <laughs> meetup sessions like around the world, which was really cool. It, uh, it opened up a lot of doors. I didn't think it would open up. I like to joke that I'm still waiting to get my next nine to five job. Uh, <laughs> and I, and I almost bit the bullet last year. Um, and I didn't, but it's really interesting how one simple decision can actually change your entire career, um, yeah. especially a decision that I didn't think would change my career. I 
honestly also wanted to just create videos. I was doing videos on branding and marketing. So I just wanted to do videos to kind of also fill the gap. So when I went in for interviews and they're like, what did you do on that month that you took off? I'd be like, oh, I was making videos. You right. know, I was exploring some new content. Obviously no one watched them, but here you go. Yeah. <laughs> so it was really, really crazy and interesting to suddenly have everything kind of take off and um, it opened a lot of really fascinating doors. So it's so funny because I just watched the WeWork documentary on Hulu. Um, I just got Hulu. And <laughs> so I've been watching like all the documentaries on Hulu, but it, the it's binge. the binge, the great binge. Um, <laughs> but in, you know, I want to say 2018, it must've been, which was the height of WeWork, you know, before sort of, you know, a little bit of a crash, uh, a lot of bit of a crash. Uh, it was so interesting because I was a WeWork ambassador. That was one of the very first brands that I represented. Um, and at the time it was so cool because I was already traveling around the world and speaking. And so I would just go to different WeWorks around the world uh, and host events and meetups. And it was a really cool partnership. Um, like I said, it was my first big partnership. So it was really cool to see what you could do with like a major brand like that. Right. Um, but it was also really neat to be traveling the world. I'm not, I think it's really funny because now everyone assumes I'm very used to traveling the world. And prior to 2017, I was definitely not a world traveler. Like I traveled a little bit within the United States, but I'm not the person that's like, you know, has the cute Instagram picture of like, here's me with my backpack, like overlooking a beautiful plateau in random country. <laughs> right. uh, and I'm still not that person. Right. But it is really interesting that like two years of speaking globally. Uh, now I feel obviously a lot more comfortable with traveling internationally um, and speaking internationally. Uh, I do miss it a lot. Can't do it right now, which is very, very sad. And I honestly don't know when I will start, when I will feel comfortable doing it again, based on everything that's happening in the world. Um, right probably the end of this year, sadly. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, until that moment in time, it's been really interesting to go from someone who was very behind the scenes at a nine to five job. Um, and that's kind of how I liked it. I actually was being pushed to speak at more conferences at one of my nine to five jobs. And I was like, I don't really feel like I need to be the face of, you know, this brand in particular, and that was not a knock on the brand. I just didn't necessarily feel like I was the best spokesperson for it. It was really interesting that now that's what I do for a living. Um, and it flip-flopped so suddenly. So, And of course, I now have my own agency, Warm Robots. Yeah. And the, the funny way that came about is also in 2017, I started a, a completely different name another agency that wasn't a real agency uh, because I also didn't want that gap. So I want to be like, Oh, I'm doing agency work, you know? Huh? Right. And what's so crazy is as my personal profile, my personal brand blew up, I started getting real clients um, for my fake agency. And oh so God. that is how I developed a real agency over time with real clients. Um, and there's a really amazing blend of, brands that I do 
you know, sometimes influencer work for and ambassador work for and brands that I do strategy work for, there's a nice overlap of sometimes I do both, right? Sometimes I'm on this side, sometimes I'm, I'm on that side. And it's a really neat place to be living. That's amazing. You've done so much work and like, it feels like your entire life, uh, just with the engagement that you created for yourself. I think my first question lands on the fact that you started creating videos on LinkedIn because you said that no one was watching. How did you know what kind of community or audience you wanted to create? Because, I mean, you didn't really know who would watch your videos. So I think this is what's so funny. Everyone thinks I planned this, right? Everyone thinks I like foresaw this in 2017 when I made my first (laughs) blurry selfie video and I didn't. So I just wanted to make videos that I thought were really interesting to me. And so therefore would be interesting to the audience that it would attract. And I would like this audience. So the the first 50 videos I did, so you have to understand, I did daily videos for two years. So every single day of my life, regardless of what country I'm in, if I'm like literally on an airplane, like that video has to be uploaded. Um, every single day because there's no scheduling on LinkedIn for video right. Um, at least not at the time. And, uh, <laughs> and the first 50 videos I did were on pop culture, branding and metrics. So it was a lot of like, what, it, what are the numbers behind say Uber and Lyft in the United States? Or why do we have street art posters? You know, what let's talk about Harry Potter and its impact globally. So it was a lot of digesting different brands and ideas through the lens of marketing and branding. Wow. That's amazing. I think it's really cool that your, your base reason to do anything is because you like it. So you're hoping that whoever it attracts is also the kind of people that you would want to track anyways, if you were to do it intentionally. Um, I think it's really interesting that you uh, do that. I've, I've noticed at least throughout your social media presence is everything's intention. That's something that you would like and you hope other people would like it. It's not you hope other people like it first. And therefore, that's why you make the content that you make. Like your Twitter is like this constant ray of sunshine that comes up on my timeline. <laughs> um, and I think it's really nice because I don't I try not to follow a lot of influencers who are just constantly trying to, you know, sell their merch or anything that their audi- they think their audience would like, as opposed to something that they want to do for themselves. Um, which is why I wanted to bring up Warm Robots, and also I want to know why it's called Warm Robots, <laughs> um, because it's it your entire purpose is social media with purpose. So why, like, why did you decide to create? Um, a platform that allows other platforms and social media people to like do it with intention. So I'll start with why it's called Warm Robots, which I think is really fun. So I'm obviously a huge nerd. So if you see anything in my background, I'm just like, I just like nerdy things a lot. Um, And one of my favorite things is like robots and androids (laughs) and like thinking about them and pop culture Um, And warm robots is a little bit of a play on that. So I like to think that warm robots is like sentient robot beings, right? And that's what I like to think about when I think about strategy for clients, which is it has a sense of warmth to it, but it's Mm -hmm. also strategic. So it's a warm robot, 
right? Um, (laughs) That's why my agency is called uh, Warm Robots. And but it's really just a nerdy play. And I will tell you, I also just looked through a bunch of domain names so I could get the right domain first um, and build my social channels around that. I'll be honest, most people hire me not because they are like, wow, it's warm robots. They hire me because it's me and they know that I'm heading what's going on. Um, and they're, they know that I'm heading my team. So if I suddenly changed my name tomorrow to like the green ducks, people would be like, well, you know, that's, I guess that's her new agency. So, right. <laughs> uh, but it's really fun to, you know, be running an agency. It's really fun to be working with clients to build their brands and to grow their social presence, um, their ambassador programs. I think it's, one of my favorite things, and this stems from my career in marketing, is really community and community building. So I'm naturally a community builder. So while the other, I would say like 10 people in that first cohort of people creating videos on LinkedIn were just like, me, 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 like, right. me. this is the best. And it's so funny to think about it because I made selfie videos which you would think would be a very like me, 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 watch me thing. But I was really into supporting other people making videos for the first time. I was really excited about commenting on everybody else who was making videos. Like we all became basically friends at that point. Um, Some of us still talk to each other. Some of us don't, (laughs) Uh, which is what happens when you get into a really emotional, creative community. Um, But it was like such a beautiful, I just love that time period of 2017 to 2018, because it was so new. And so we were all in there expressing ourselves, but I naturally am just a community builder. So I wanted to make sure people were being heard. I was amplifying other people. I was explaining things like people would ask me basic questions and I was help desk. Uh, People thought I worked at LinkedIn, which I definitely have never (laughs) worked at LinkedIn. Um, People still think that, which is really funny to me. Um, and, And now I have LinkedIn learning courses. So I guess I technically work as a contractor (laughs) for LinkedIn. Uh, But, you know, it's, it was really amazing at the time to build community. And I think community is one of those things that is so overlooked because community can also turn on you really quick. And I absolutely, and I think we've seen that over the past year is people who have really devoted communities that they don't listen to. Yes. Yeah. I think it's so wonderful to hear that your entire it, it sounds like your entire purpose is to create um, this environment where people feel safe enough to start something because it's scary to create anything. And then to have someone like you behind, you know, someone like me even to, to feel like I'm supported is, is I think is a huge thing that a lot of people in your position don't understand mean a lot to people like me. Um, and I think it, it's, it's rare to have someone like you around, which I'm very grateful for. And thank you for even, you know, being on the podcast and, and hearing that you do this for other people. I am wondering if, because you had said earlier, you know, you admitted that a lot of the time people hire you because it's you leading the project. Right. Um, Do you feel a sense of pressure because of that reason? 
Uh, absolutely. So because my name and my face and my brand, which is amazing, right? And I, it's yep. meta for me because I speak and do a lot of content on personal branding. And it's my personal brand that has led to me being able to do content on personal branding. Yeah. Uh, and so if I step away too much from certain projects and things, people really don't like it. So they like there's a certain level of my handholding on every project. So even if I have other team members working on a project, I'm deeply supervising that project, right? I'm making sure right. that I have a pretty heavy hand. And based off the millions of things that I do, uh, because I don't just run my agency, I don't just do influencer work, it can be really a lot, right? It can be yeah. Can be burning the candle at both ends. I also write for Forbes, and it's funny to me because some people that's like fifty percent of their life. For me, writing for Forbes is like twenty to ten percent of my life. So, wow. it, it there's like <laughs> the time split that I have in my life for work. It just needs to be really carefully uh, split and delegated out. All of the stuff that I can delegate, I try to delegate. Delegate. I try to have a team that I can depend on. Um, and folks that I work with that are really smart and independent thinkers. Uh, I personally don't like to handhold necessarily on my team, unless okay. it's absolutely necessary. Um, and I don't like to micromanage because I myself am not either a micromanager or somebody who likes to be micromanaged. <laughs> yeah. Do you, did you find that difficult in the, in the beginning to, to be someone to delegate or micro or not to micromanage because you are, you started like as a sole proprietor to everything you started. Yeah. So it really depends. If I feel like somebody is really good at specifically what they do, I'm pretty hands-off. I'm just like, why don't you try to do it? And if you make a mistake, come back and we'll discuss it. Right. I, right. I really like working in that respect with my with my team and the different teams that I've partnered with as well for other companies and brands. Um, I think it's kind of nice to give as much detailed instruction and ideas and strategy at the very beginning, like literally a book, like write a book or do a Zoom that's super in-depth and then write the book after you do the Zoom. So they have really detailed instructions with screenshots and everything beforehand. So then when they go out and do it, it's really easy for them to try to do it on their own because they have support from this document or they have support from going over it through a Zoom. I think that's actually how why people like to micromanage is they like to do that process during the task. And yeah. I always feel like it's so much better to do it before the task and then trust that the person has enough autonomy um, and enough self-starterness that they will get it done. But that's also me having grown up in the startup world, which okay. you, in the startup world, you do 20 jobs. Like I was yeah. as an assistant, as an associate, right? All the, all, I would say like all of my bottom, most bottom tier jobs that I had, I was expected to do 10 jobs yes. at that time. And sometimes I meet people and, and certainly this has been the case when I've worked in house where I inherit a team and they don't have that same Bay Area startup mentality of like, I should be doing 10 jobs. And sometimes it's a struggle because then I have to find their limits and then understand, okay, they need, they're going to do this one job. They need incredibly specific 
instructions and they can yeah. iterate on these incredibly, you know, very carefully laid out instructions, but they're not going to be a self thinker. They're not going to be somebody who comes to me with new ideas and is like, I'd love to do this or this, which I'm so used to working with people like that. Right. That's incredible that you can adapt to people so quickly. Um, how do you, like, what do you look for in your team? Because it sounds like you have the self-starters and you know that they can work independently, but you also, you know, still have the patience to hold someone's hand just in case they don't function the way that a lot of self-starters do. Like you said, some people don't have the Bay Area mindset. So what do you look for in your team? Professional design and creation is sometimes a nightmare. Let's be honest, it's a nightmare. Details and efficiency are important, but there's another way. With Canva Pro, you can schedule your posts automatically through the calendar that Canva gives you. You never have to worry about missing a beat with all your amazing content. Beautiful design templates, tools to boost your workflow. No surprises. Try Canva Pro today. And, and I don't say that as a negative, right? Because I think that if I was somebody that really liked to uh, work closely on every single step of the task, I would want to hire people who want to work closely on every single step of the task. I'm just such a self-starter myself. So right. I like that in my team. You know, when I'm looking at who I hire and who I bring onto my team, there's a combination of really two things. It's two factors. One is personality. Do they have the right personality? And have I made a bad decision in this area? Absolutely. I, and I think that this is everyone when they are trying to judge a personality from the first go. I mean, we've certainly all seen it in our personal lives with friendships, right? You oh, think yeah. someone is one way and they turn on another. Um, I like to present a certain personality to my clients. And so it's really important that people I bring on are going to be really intelligent, are going to be generally not necessarily over the top cheerful, but they're, they're going to put a positive spin on things, right? right. Um, and those are kind of two traits that I look for a lot when I'm hiring. And then on top of that, just really natural core competencies, people who naturally are good at what they do. So I don't hire as many junior people. When I hire junior people, I handhold pretty much the entire time, which is right. totally fine. But when I hire anyone who's mid-level or above, I expect them to be given a task and then to just figure it out, with right? It. right? And they can always, people can always, always, always ask me questions. My door is always open. That's not what I'm saying, right? I'm not saying like, once I give the task, I'm like, well, figure it out. Goodbye. I'll see you in three months. Right. Um, but I like <laughs> them to try to do it and then come back to me with questions like, I tried this, this, and this. It didn't work. Right. I tried Googling. I couldn't find the solution. What is the solution? And I find that that's such a better way to work, but also because that's how I naturally work. And I think having a team that naturally works really similarly to you is really helpful. And of yeah. course, having people who work differently, I mean, that's also just naturally part of a team. Right, right. Do you, uh, you mentioned that you obviously, you know, you try to have an open door concept with your teams and and your agency but you have a lot on your plate how do you manage to to even have the time to you know want to focus on your team 
Uh, I believe, and this is probably my community side coming out, I believe that my team is incredibly important. Um, and so I never want to be the reason why my team cannot do their work, right? Because right. there's, whenever you're doing a project, there's always one person or one thing that is the holdup. Um, and I do not like being the holdup in my team's, you know, flow, workflow. So what right. I'll do sometimes is I will eliminate myself from the workflow, right? I'll make sure that it's a series of team members relying on each other. And so my door is open, but it's not necessarily me directly doing that task. And that is a really helpful way of making sure that I don't get people pounding on my door 24 seven. Now, yeah. what's unfortunate or fortunate is that especially for a lot of the influencer creative type work that I do that features me, I cannot outsource that. I don't think that's what people understand. So if I do a series of that hundred good questions series I'm doing right now, that has to be all me. So even if I'm not the one filming it, I'm not the one editing it, I still have to be the one that's literally on camera filming it. So there's quite a bit of things that require me to actually be present and me to be speaking on it. Um, yes. And those things usually take top priority because I can't outsource or delegate that I don't unfortunately have a clone as much as I'd like one. Uh, so those things are things that I can't really give to other people because it just it quite literally has to be me. It has to be this face because that's what people want to see right. when they're consuming that content. That's what my audience wants to see. Yeah, that, that, that sounds like such an incredible amount of time and effort on your end because you're you're it's your personality sounds like a leader. Um, and I noticed recently that you tweeted something from Simon Sinek and I love him as someone who motivates businesses and his core belief is to produce or to guide um, management to become leaders. And I think that's what you come off as. Um, you don't think of any sort of project or, you know, entrepreneurial thing to be a soul dot you know. in the landscape <laughs> yes exactly thank you thank you um and it it you know I've always I, I actually work for a startup right now and the reason why I chose a startup is because the leaders themselves depend on their team and they know that the reason why their startup is something that's becoming a, a, a thing is because of their team and that's what I'm hearing from you and I really appreciate all of your you know, kind words towards like you building a community and you seeing your team as part of that community. You did mention a hundred questions or a hundred good questions. And now I want to touch on that because I follow you on Twitter, as I've mentioned multiple times now. And the hundred good questions actually has me stopping whenever I see it on my timeline and asking myself those questions. So I'm wondering why you started that and what part of your personal branding did you like decide that this is something that's important to you to start? So every few months, I like to launch a new personal project to the detriment of my sleep schedule <laughs> um, or, you know, in general. In fact, I'm developing my next one right now because 100 Good Questions is about to wrap up. It's almost over, yeah. It's almost over. And so 100 Good Questions came out of my belief that when we ask ourselves questions, and this is probably a very Simon Sinek kind of thing, um, <laughs> when we ask ourselves really thoughtful questions about our life, career, love, uh, and more, 
we tend to start really growing, right? Because when we ask ourselves enough questions and we try to answer those questions and we try to really be thoughtful about our answers or even just like a stupid answer, sometimes stupid answers lead to really smart answers is my personal belief. Um, And so I wanted to do a hundred questions because if I say just did 10, people would go by so fast, right? Um, it would just be such a blip, but a hundred questions means maybe you see 10 of those questions, 10 out of a hundred, and maybe one of those 10 questions really makes you think about your life. Um, one of the questions that I really like is what would you name this chapter of your life? And that is always so thought provoking for people because you take a step back and you're like, oh, you know, like it, do I want to name it something positive, something negative? Is it about my family, my career, uh, my romantic relationships, uh, you know, my just like my physical health? Like, what is the title of this chapter and why? So I think 100 Good Questions was a project that I really want to do because I think the power of questions is so strong. And we don't stop enough and ask ourselves questions because we're so busy doing. And I'm obviously guilty of this, too. But it's so helpful to have spaces where you are allowed to ask and answer questions where you feel more comfortable exploring more vulnerable sides. And I'm sure you've seen this from my Twitter since you follow this. So my LinkedIn is much more cut and dry, right? It has like a level of warmth to it, but not really over the top. And my Twitter is just me tweeting my feels like 90% of the time uh, (laughs) and things that I'm just thinking and I just tweet them. And it's not really as... I think people are like, what's strategy behind your Twitter? And I'm like, a lot of it is just me tweeting my feelings or things that I'm seeing that trend. So if I see people are really, say, emotionally drained from X event or there's something happening in the communities that I'm involved in, I will say something. And this, a lot of it is very unsteady. It's just as me responding and hoping that it opens the door so other people feel comfortable responding and having, you know, an opinion on things. Uh, I like to say that my Twitter is a super safe space for people of color um, and queer folks because they don't always have such a safe space, especially on Twitter, especially on that platform, which can be quite brutal. Um, So I like to think that just having an entire account that is a safe space and constantly sending out information that feels safe, that feels really embracing and warm and loving is in itself an act of love, right? And I think that having more loving content on the internet is so, so important. Uh, Mr. Rogers is obviously a huge (laughs) inspiration of mine. I love his content. I love his ethos. um, And I love that he really created the show and the content that he did because it came from such a beautiful place of I like that you talked about monetization a little bit, right? People who are trying to constantly get you to buy their products. And do I have products that I'm trying to get people to buy? Of course, because I work with brands. But do I ever work with brands that I don't believe in? No, right? I actually turn down a lot of brands that are just like, I'd like you to throw up this crap link. I'd like you to talk about this thing. And I'm just like, I just don't. I personally just don't do it. Right. Um, I guess I could be making a lot more money <laughs> Yeah, if you really wanted to, if I really wanted to. Uh, but 
I think it's really important to not be so salesy. And I genuinely believe your social media should really be 90% giving content or giving educational um, advice, etc. And then 10%, of course, you have to sell. So 10% like the sales or dropping those links um, and right. getting people to engage in those things. But even my sales stuff. So like I've worked with brands like Fiverr and yes. one of the projects that I partnered with them was a seven day series where I used Fiverr sellers to show how you could build your brand using Fiverr sellers. Now, obviously this is a sales piece for Fiverr, but it is something tactical that you could do without Fiverr too, right? So you right. could take everything I say and also do it without the brand. And that's the kind of content that I love working with brands to make is if you watch even my sponsored content, it won't just be sales, it will be educational as well. And I think that is really helpful to have in content coming from someone that, you know, for better or for worse, has that blue check mark on yeah. their profile. <laughs> yeah. um, Listen, we know that everyone wants to stay extra safe these days, and that's why we're sharing our experiences with Instacart. With their personal shoppers, curbside pickup, or delivery straight to our door, we're able to worry less. Instacart also offers same-day delivery and live updates on their app. We love the apps. Try Instacart today. I like to talk about the blue check mark sometimes because I think it's really funny. I actually got the blue check mark on my account while I was at an Adobe conference, and somebody else who was at the conference was like, "Oh my god, Goldie, you got verified!" And I'm like, "Oh my god!" Like we're trying to cover this conference right now. <laughs> we're like sitting in the audience, and he's like, "Oh my god, you got verified! I can't believe it!" And I'm like, "That's cool, you know." Um, it's interesting, certainly, to be verified because it opens up doors to other people who are verified. Um, and other bigger platforms, but being verified does not mean you're better than anyone else, right? Uh, being verified just means you have a presence that Twitter thinks uh, people will probably try to make fake accounts of you. And so they want to show that this is like the real account. Right. Uh, but it is certainly really interesting to be verified. <laughs> <laughs> I've always wanted to know what it felt like the moment that you're like, I have a blue check mark and I'm the real Goldie Chan. Um, I mean, so I did freak out, but it, once again, we were in the middle of a conference listening to a keynote, so I couldn't really do anything. So I tweeted right. that, I mean, like a big dork, I definitely tweeted and then I screen capped and shared it on all my social platforms. I'm like, guys, yes. I'm verified on this one platform. <laughs> because it is exciting, right? It is yeah. stupidly exciting. It shouldn't be that exciting, but, but it, it is. absolutely is. And oh, I, yeah. at least for me, you know, because people are always wondering about this, I didn't buy it, right? Um, it just happened. And so right. <laughs> I was just like, whoa, out of the blue. Very <laughs> cool. <laughs> That's so cool. Um, I love that you still got excited and you're like, you know, I have to share this. This is just, it. I mean, it you is have what to share it. it. I will yeah. say, you know, this is maybe like one of the other, there's like all these moments that I get really nerdily excited about things. Like the time I wrote basically a book <laughs> on The Rock and his oh businesses and branding on Forbes. And sometimes I just do these like fan pieces. Uh, and so it was just a fan piece. And I tagged The Rock because, you know, why not? But it wasn't. Yeah 
obviously to get a response from the rock i just tagged him so people are like you know follow the rock um and he responded he was like no <gasps> sister like thank you for doing oh my this god and i was like <laughs> i feel like i have like top five crushes of people who are just like amazing humans on the face of the planet and he's certainly in the top five right? oh yeah 100 percent. and i remember when he said this just like a quick Twitter response. It's so funny. It could have also just been not him. It could have been his team, although it did feel like him. Um, but it's so funny that that was like such an amazing moment for me. I remember that Twitter <laughs> moment. That was like a Twitter moment. I was like, oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> it was so, so cool. cool. <laughs> I love that. Um, I think one of the biggest things that I'm, I'm learning about you is that you're an incredibly humble person. And one of the coolest things is that you are on this path of purpose and intention that is coming from you um, and who you are as a person. But I'm curious because you're such a prominent person in the social media marketing industry. Are you ever like afraid of staying on that path of being really real on your Twitter or, you know, being who you are as a person in terms of like community and, 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 you know, making sure that your expectations for yourself are met because a lot of people are looking at you and, you know, the things that you share on Twitter sometimes might rub people the wrong way who might be people that want to work with you. So I think, you know, I have, <laughs> this is not necessarily the advice that I would give my clients. Right. So <laughs> this is the, <laughs> That, that is the disclaimer, right? So I work with a lot of C-level executives and their personal brands have a lot more parameters on it than my personal brand does. And okay. obviously, if I worked in-house somewhere, my personal brand would reflect that I'm working in-house in a place, to be totally okay. honest. Um, but because I'm not currently, right, I keep saying I'm going to get a real job. Nine to five, yeah. Uh, since I'm not currently working at a nine to five, I have a lot more leeway with my brand. I also, uh, you know, the first phrase that comes to my mind, I also don't care. So I think nice. to be fair, the problem and the solution is that most people are trying so hard to impress other people. They're trying so yeah. hard to make sure that they're crafting the brand that X brand would love. And I, I think it's so funny because I just made a brand that was totally me. I yes. mean, obviously there's part of it that's crafted and curated because it can't be a thousand percent you, um, but it, it's at least on most days, 75% above me. Um, so it's mostly me just talking um, out there. And what I noticed is the more me I am, the more brands and people love that meanness right. because most people are not genuinely vulnerable because they have such curated social presences that go through yeah. la layers of approval. Um, and there's only one layer of approval. <laughs> and sometimes that layer is also gone because I'm just wonky and out there and just saying whatever I feel. Um, right. And of course, I've made people mad. I think a mark of a truly good brand is do you have haters? That's also how you know if you have brands is the moment you start getting haters who dislike you. And of course, I have haters. I have a ton, a ton of haters on LinkedIn. Um, I have a few actually quite large ones with large social followings on Twitter. 
um, I'm not going to name names here, but yeah. it's to me really interesting because I'm just doing what I'm doing. And then sometimes people try to drag me to use a term the kids use. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and I just watch them. I'm just like, if I did something wrong, I will apologize. It's my personal belief. Like if I said something wrong, did something wrong, um, and somebody brings that to my attention, I will, um, I will go in, I will make the apology. I'll do it very publicly. I don't believe in apologizing over DMs. I yeah. think you should do it publicly in your timeline. So yeah. when I reach out to people too, a lot of times I'll do it publicly in the timeline because I think that's less shady uh, than doing it over DMs and having this like private little conversation that yep. someone will screen cap and then post on their social platforms that feel so fake to me. So yep. I will say it, <laughs> having haters is really terrible and hilarious at the same time. One of my friends actually made a t-shirt for me of my very first hater comment that I got on LinkedIn that was like, why are you making these videos on LinkedIn? Um, I'm paraphrasing. These are the kind of videos that should be on Facebook. Why are you making Facebook videos on LinkedIn? Um, which is weird because they aren't, I would say the videos at the time that I was doing were more like Instagram videos if we want to get really technical. Uh, but it was just really funny that she was so upset. So I just wrote back, thank you for your amazing opinion, you know? Um, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> I like okay. to sometimes just respond, right? Um, and then so my friend screen capped that and then put it on our shirt. So I still have this shirt. <laughs> like I my first that. hater comment I got, like first big hater comment I got in, I think it was 2018. And I'm really proud of that first hater comment. And I will say in 2018, it made me really sad to get a lot of this hater aid, to get a lot of people disliking what I'd done. Because in 2017, when I started, it was like fun, it was yeah. like beautiful, everything was positive. And then when I started getting my first haters, I was like, what? How could people dislike me? And I was doing really neutral. And I still like to think, for the most part, I do pretty neutral content, right? I'm not out there saying like terrible things about people. But sometimes people are just like, how dare you say this about trains in America? Like, you don't know. Oh I know God. trains in America. And people get really crazy about the things that they care about. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> it's, it, it was really sad. And I had to go through that dip. I think what happened was I also got a little bit full of myself um, and I got a little bit of an ego being like, I, I'm the best. Like, I'm part of this new generation of like, video <laughs> and I had to have a bunch of haters come for me uh, in order to really take a look at myself and a look at how I was presenting myself. Um, and since then, I've been just a lot more laid back about stuff. I don't really yeah. take stuff personally as much. I'll say like before the compliments you know, the compliments and the not compliments really affected me. So I'd see a compliment. I'd be like, Oh God, it's like beautiful. I can't believe they thought that about me about the thing I made. Uh, and then, you know, they get the hater comment and be like, I can't believe they thought that of me. Why are they <laughs> like, it's the same reaction, same emotion. same emotion. Um, and now I'm just like, people are like, I love this. And I'm like, thank you. Right. And yeah. like, I hate this. And I'm like, thank you. <laughs> so, yeah. Thank you. Click like, um, <laughs> 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 but I think that's like the best way to have a response to 
you know, two different, the two different sides of the coin. And I will say before I was, you know, a lot more accessible on say LinkedIn, and now I'm a lot less accessible. But ironically, if you go to my Twitter, I'm very accessible on Twitter, you know, you can really pretty easily talk to me on that platform, you just have to switch platforms that you're trying to communicate with me on. Um, But I think it's helpful that when you also reach a certain level of follower count or engaged followers that you have a little bit of a boundary and a little bit of distance. So, you know, obviously one of the reasons why we're even talking is because you're friends with Gerard, right? Yes. And so yeah. I'm actually real life friends with Gerard. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's what like, he said too. Right. And so it's so funny to me because that's what I use to check people. Um, that's what I use as, you know, like, oh, you're actually real life friends with my real life friend. Then we can check that off the box. But versus I get a lot of requests, obviously, to do podcasts and live streams and interviews. Um, And because I'm stretched so thin, it's really hard for me to say yes to most of them. I had one really terrible idea week in 2018 where I opened up my poor Calendly to anyone who wanted to book me for an hour chat. And I'm never doing that again in my life because within 40 minutes, my entire week was, so I I didn't do any work that week. Um, My entire week was booked and all of my craziest fanboys were like, had me for an hour over video. And this, this was like, not during the pandemic. So this was during regular time. And they were just like, you know, you just get this for an hour. And then like, (laughs) So I saw that the third video you ever made, uh, there was this like little green thing that popped in the corner. Like, what was that? I'm just curious. I have a screenshot of it. Like, can we talk about that? Like, can we talk about what? <laughs> oh my God. Um, and so this is what I'm talking about again with boundaries. It's really helpful that as you're growing your brand and if you reach a certain level of success with your personal brand to have boundaries between you and your fans, because fans are beautiful and they're your community and that's how you grow but also some fans will feel a little too close and personal to you yes yeah no thank you for that that's I think it's it's so insightful to have your perspective on just behind the scenes and and have that um I guess the the knowledge and the clarity that you have that a lot of people don't admit to is is what I'm I'm hearing from you so i I really said i did i did go through that brief period of time where i was i am awesome you know i'm awesome i'm like really cool and then every time i'd see a compliment i'd be like ha 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 yes and then i started because this is the way the universe works right then i started you know all the trolls and i was like what how could (laughs) anyone dislike me that's crazy. And then I think back on it, I'm like, that's so dumb. Of course they disliked you. Of course, whenever you get that many people who like you, of course you're going to get people who dislike you. Yeah. And of course, like even now I'll say something like, Hey, I hope you had a nice, I mean, my Twitter is very corny as you know. So I'll say, I love like, it. Hey, I hope you have a nice day. Your hair looked cute today. And somebody will yeah. take that the wrong way and be like, I don't have hair. How dare you <laughs> me? And I'm like, why call me out when I'm bald? Yeah. <laughs> and I do get that. I get that from guys who are like, That's why amazing. call me out when I'm bald? And, and I would say in 2018, I would take these things very personally be like, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to call attention to your baldness, you know? And now wow. I'm just like, 
I don't feel the need to respond to that because it's not really directed at me. It's directed at me as a persona, right? Yeah. Directed to me as like a blue check mark person floating around the internet. And sometimes I get that response because I also write for Forbes. And I cannot tell you how many people DM me being like, I want to be in Forbes because I'm amazing. And how few of those people are what I would deem as like, at least for me in my column, like useful for having as a Forbes column for learning more about building a personal brand because they're like, I have 50 followers on Twitter and I'm quite <laughs> famous. And I'm just sure. like, that is not to me helpful to anyone, right? Yeah. Um, you talking about your 50 followers on a social platform is actually so not useful to anyone. Like, tell me how you grew that following. Tell me what steps you've been taking so I can share that with my audience. And so I don't believe in doing a lot of fluffy content. We're not going to name names, but I've definitely had people who are like the biggest people uh, on their platforms reach out to me and be like, I I need you to cover me like today. And I just respond to that DM because I don't feel the need to cover them. Um, And I don't feel that, or they're like, I got one from once again, not going to name names, but somebody very, 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 very famous. And they were like, can you cover my two bros? Because they really need some Forbes <laughs> coverage. Uh, and I just didn't feel um, the need to dignify that with a response. Um, and absolutely. because I'm not clout chasing, to be totally honest. Right. Um, and if I was clout chasing, I probably absolutely would have done that fluff piece article that would have not been read by anyone except for these two people. Oh, I guess, except for this person's incredibly large, large audience. Um, Wouldn't have been useful for my audience. And that's who I care about. So that's kind of my philosophy at the end of the day, especially with content and especially with Forbes is having access to a column I see as a really beautiful privilege And so I don't like to do things that I see as kind of low level with that. Yeah, no, that's amazing. I am so inspired by everything that you said this episode. And um, I just want to round out the last few minutes with a very quick question. What would you tell someone who was looking into the same kind of industry or path that you've been on? Oh, gosh. Um, uh, Well, I would say industry is always tough. But if we want to just talk about marketing and branding in general, I think we're having such a fascinating uh, place in time of marketing personalities um, over the last couple of years. And I happened to pop up during this renaissance of marketing personalities. Uh, Some of them are very good. Some of them I'm less a fan of. (laughs) And I think if you want to become someone who does marketing and has a social presence online, well, part of that is joining and actually working at places. So I worked at, in marketing at startups for over a decade, you know, before I wow. even started thinking about doing anything with my brand. And once again, I didn't do anything with my brand. I just was making content that I thought was interesting to me. Um, right. What I'm seeing a lot is people who are, in their first jobs and already like explaining everything to do with everything marketing 24 seven. And some of them are super smart. So it's really awesome to see. And some of them I'm like, this is clearly your first job. So let's take a step back. 
let's get you a couple more years under your experience, uh, under your belt. And then you can start explaining things to other people because sometimes it's just wrong. Um, and that's what I dislike <laughs> is like the wrong information being spread across the internet. But if you want to also say, do more just in general, uh, influencer work, like that's pretty easy, right? And yeah. by easy, I mean, not at all easy, yeah. but you grow <laughs> your social following on one platform for an area of expertise that you want to be known for. Now, if you're hot and young and blonde, that could really easily be Instagram or TikTok, right? And yeah. you just are known for being hot and young and blonde. But if you are maybe not those things, it's helpful to have an area of expertise. So maybe you are, I'm on TikTok right now. So maybe you are cooking on hot stones and that is literally what you do. That is such a cool way to build a brand and be known for that particular brand, right? Yes, it is. Um, and I think that it is so much easier these days to be someone who has influence, which I think is much more powerful than being an influencer. And if you yes. also are just thinking about even running your own amazing uh, strategy agency, a lot of that to me is proof in the pudding. So once again, either you work for years, years um, in-house. And so you can show off like, well, I did this work for Nike and I also did this work for Google, et cetera. Um, or you are yourself proof of the pudding, right? So people come to me to build a personal brand because I'm like, I built my own personal brand in yes. under three years. So it's like, I can show you the physical results and you can track them right now. Um, so those are, those are a couple of things I would say are ways to think about getting along a path that I guess is similar to mine, but not exactly quite the same. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that word, uh, like words of advice and, and just like, it's a nice humbling way to understand that the journey is going to be hard. And a lot of people don't see anything below the iceberg. Right. So yeah. Um, I really appreciate that from you. And thank you for coming on the podcast, Goldie. Of course. It's really nice to meet you. It's nice to meet you too. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Hey guys, it's Belle back from behind the scenes editing. I just wanted to apologize again because I was so much into my fangirling moment with Goldie that I forgot to ask her to let you guys know where you can find her. So I've linked everything that she does that I know of on the description or in the description for the episode. And if you guys have any questions or any, you know, like just thank yous for her episode, you get, you, you let the, <laughs> you guys can quickly reach her on Twitter at Goldie Chan on Twitter. Did I say that right? That was a weird, awkward way of saying that. <laughs> it's g-o-l-d-i-e-c-h-a-n goldie chan i hope you guys like the episode if uh you guys have any comments concerns or questions let me know on all my socials that are also linked in the description okay bye